Welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as our Bible teacher explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. Also, you can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, www.fbcaa.org. You can watch our services at fbcaa.org live or on YouTube. We thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as we open God's Word. Good morning. We are turning again to the book of James. Often I think that I need to start at the beginning again because I think, well, there's much more that I needed to contemplate and talk about and think about, but I'm not going to start at the very beginning again and start it all over because it would be just a repetitive and that. But I am going to start in chapter 1, and I'm going to pick out a few verses there to tie us in. We're, going to, we're heading towards chapter 3, which has a major emphasis on the tongue and the power of the tongue. But before we get there, we're going to look at a couple of verses that we've looked at already. The first of those is in verse 18 of chapter 1. Now there it says, of his own will, now we know this is speaking of God himself, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we may be, it might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, I wanted to start there again because James talks about how it is that a person comes to be one of the brethren how it is a person comes to be a brother. The will of God is not what someone does of their own might, but God is the author of salvation. And i just like to keep emphasizing that, particularly because in this book, some have thought that it was teaching contradictory concepts to other epistles in the New Testament and other concepts, the work, faith and the works. And, and we just keep going back to that to say, James is not teaching a faith that comes as a consequence of or has in any wise the justification before God being based on works. It's not that at all. By grace, I would say through faith, not of works that anyone should boast. So if anyone is justified before God, it is not, it has no mixture with any works that they did. Okay, so, and I know you all understand, looking at the faces I see, I think I know every person, all the faces here, so everybody agrees. But there might be someone online listening or looking or will, who that would be good information for them to review. Now, let's drop down now, also in verse, in chapter 1, and now to verse 19. And here's what that says. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 
Now, the whole idea or the value in hearing is that if ye hearing the word of truth, the word of God, you're hearing what you need to hear. Now, that means having heard uh, the, the, the other part of that is to heed. So not just to hear, but to do. James is getting at that. To say the real maturity of a Christian person has to do not just with hearing, but also out of that comes something that is good to do. So then it says there in that verse, so swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Why slow to wrath? Why slow to speak? Now, consider the last part of that verse, 19. It says, for the wrath a man does not produce the righteousness of God. What that means is that James is concerned about God's righteousness. He's concerned about that. And so this uh, instruction to hear slow and speaking and slow in wrath. The wrath of man produces. Right? Produces all kinds of stuff. But it does not produce that which is important and good and right and honorable to God. It does not produce his righteousness. The righteousness of God I'm going to visit a few verses here which speak to what I just said. But before I do, I'm going to read a definition that I found in Grudem in his Systematic Theology. And he says, God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance to what is right and is himself the standard of what is right. Think about that. And so God himself, he is the one. He acts and some people have been judgmental about his acts. His acts, but every act of his is right. It's righteous. And the standard of what is right is his. He has a prerogative to do that, and he does. And so if we are to understand what's right, where do we go? Some people will have you think that there is no such thing as right or wrong. 
There's no such thing as righteousness. Some people will have you think that. And that's why some of the ideas that get promoted in the popular world take hold because people grab onto the notion that they can decide what's right and wrong, or they can force the legislature to pass certain measures and say that's what's right or wrong. But the problem is God is the one who is the standard setter. And he is going to judge according to his standard. It doesn't matter what your legislature decided or what you decided personally. God's judgment will be by his standard, and so we need to understand his standard and ask him to help us to adjust ourselves so that we'll be more in line with it. So that's what God is talking about. I selected a portion from Deuteronomy, chapter 32. I'm going to read this one little portion here in verse 4. Speaking of God, he is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Righteous and upright is he. A God of truth without injustice. So we want to model ourselves after that to be truth speakers. And sometimes in our contemporary world, if we speak the truth in certain environments, it's going to cost something. That's a hard thing to think about. In the land which we live, we call it the land of the free and that. But more and more, it's not so much the land of free to speak the truth. You might be condemned for saying what's true. You might lose your job, too. But that's the world we're in. But those are challenges Christian people face. But God is still the rock. He's still righteous. He's still upright. We have to continually remind ourselves that we need, first of all, to have an alignment with him to be right and to continually work at that, regardless of what the world tells us to do. Here's another one. We lift it from Genesis Chapter 1, verse 25. I think Pastor used this one in his sermon last week about Abraham's interceding because of the judgment that was going to come upon Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding nations. And it just simply says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He is a righteous God. He had his righteousness. What he did was a result of him being a righteous God. 
one of the things that, in, that is interesting is that a part of the righteousness of God requires a punishment for sin. And so many of the things that we see in the Old Testament where the judgment of hand of God has fallen upon the people, it is demonstrating him to be a righteous God that he doesn't sweep it under the rug and say it's okay. Sin can never be swept under the rug and successfully hidden from God so as to make it okay. It can't be done. People try to do it. They can run, but they can't hide. One more, though, here in Psalm 19, verses 8 and 9, and here's what those verses say. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. So James here, I'm going to read one more from Isaiah now, chapter 45 and verse 19. Listen to what this says. The Lord I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I the Lord speak righteousness. I declare the things that are right. The righteousness of God. And so that verse that we started with, in verse 19 in chapter 1, talking about the righteousness of God, producing the righteousness of God. God is righteous. And his righteousness is what matters. Now, as we move on towards chapter 3, I want to revisit a few of the verses prior to chapter 3 that speaks about the tongue. Maybe it didn't use the word tongue, but it's speaking about the tongue because the power of the tongue is emphasized greatly in chapter 3. And I'm sure you pause as I do to think about the way that is expressed, the enormity of the power. It can be very frightening to think of how much power is being spoken about. In verse 13, again, in chapter 1, look at what it says here. We see here a use of the tongue. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted. 
by God. A use of the tongue. Don't use the tongue to accuse God of wrongdoing. That's not a proper use. In verse 19, we see a caution about when to speak and the product of speaking. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The caution, see? Now, I've read that twice. And we keep reading it over and over, over again, right? Slow to speak, slow to wrath, quick to hear, though. Okay. So that's a caution given about speaking and the product of speaking. I'm going to move on to verse 26. This it says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, then the religion that he has is useless. It doesn't say he doesn't have any religion. It just says it's useless. We're not going to talk to, try to talk the man out of him saying he's religious. Many people say they're religious or they're spiritual or whatever, but it has nothing to do with the righteousness of God. But here, the tongue being used to, or in connection with a deceited heart, heart self-deceit, it's not a bad, it's not a good use of the tongue. In chapter two, verse three, now here we see the tongue serving in sinful purposes. He talks about evil thoughts. And they, the way that the information or the evidence of the evil thoughts becomes manifest is through the tongue. What it says, verse 3, chapter 2. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, stand you stand there. That tongue has just now been used in a sinful way. But it wasn't that the tongue is an independent entity with a mind of its own. Someone used the tongue, their tongue, their God-given tongue, for this sinful purpose. We all have tongues. And we use, a, use them a lot, and we say a lot of words. And I think I was reading something that someone said, a lot of people would really be quite astonished if they knew how many words they spoke in one day. <laughs> it, it would be a staggering number for some, because some people have a lot to say. It's not saying it's good or bad what they said, it's just that they said a lot of words. But because the words are said, because there is a lot of speaking, or any speaking, then there needs to be 
a governor of the speech who is using the governing authority in a proper way, a righteous way. And I'm just alluding to some of what's coming <laughs> and stating it that way. Now, in verse says 14 and 16, a person may say he has faith, but the faith that he has has no works. And so he's using his tongue just simply to make it manifest that what he has is useless and dead. It serves the tongue in that case, but the result is a nullity. The tongue served, but the result is a nullity, dead, a dead faith. It was given witness to a dead faith. That's all it was doing, testifying to that. That was the use of that tongue. But faith without works is dead. In verse 18, chapter 2, someone says, I will show you my faith by my works. Now there we have the tongue serving a good purpose. That one is saying, I will use my tongue to speak the thing that is true and right, a good purpose. Truth speaks the truth. There's an inseparable link between faith and works. But the one who has no works the link is not there. The one who has real faith, there is a link. There is a link, but it has nothing to do with the justification before God. It is a result of what God did and is doing, and that's why that work comes out from the one who has the true faith. Work comes out from that. It can't be otherwise. Because this is God's work and his doing. And he made it to be that way. So then, the power of the tongue. Chapter 1, I mean chapter 3 and verse 1. It says this, My brethren... Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Those are arresting words. They grab the attention. It's, it's a hard thing sometimes to stand up and to open this book with an audience. Because it's not just any book. 
and the one speaking it is not a perfect person. It is not one without flaws, without challenges, without themes to work on, perhaps which haven't even come to notice yet, but need work. Here, in James's context, it appears that evidently there were some who were of the desire to rush into the office of being a teacher. Some people like to get before a crowd. They just want to be on the, at the podium talking. And often, often they do. But if it's God's word that they are proclaiming or they are supposed to be proclaiming, that's a solemn work. That's a challenging thing. And so the idea, it says here, there is a stricter judgment. Not to frighten anyone away from the office that God calls one to, but to not rush into something that God has not fitted it for, or to recognize when it's time to step aside from it. Not that you're not fitted anymore, but God has his time for each one of us to do the things we do. And there comes a time when it's time to do something different. We have to recognize that. We don't have the past of the church now that we had originally. We have a different one. Because in God's time, God's time, there had to be a change. We could, we could not right now have the original pastor. Why? Because he's with the Lord. So we have, if this church was to continue, we had to have a new one. So, the tongue. Now it says here in the next verse, chapter, two, uh, in chapter 3 and verse number 2, it says, we all stumble or sin, commit sin, in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Stumble, sin, perfect. I think the idea that James is getting at when he talks about and uses the word perfect is a notion that we can think about in terms of a child and an adult. The child being less perfect in terms of maturity, understanding, wisdom, knowledge, all those things. The adult being better along those lines. Not being perfect, but still mature. Not being perfect in our generic use of the term. I think he's not using it in the way we generically use it. Now it goes on to talk about the power of the tongue. 
power of the tongue. Now think about that in relation to what we just said about that one who is able here to not stumble in word, able to bridle the body. A bridle is signifying control, managing the power, managing the power. So look at these illustrations that he gives here. We talk, he talks about bits put on a horse's mouth. Now, I didn't grow up riding horses. That wasn't part of my background. But oftentimes when I'm with my dad, he talks about the horses and how they used to enjoy those horses <laughs> and controlling the horses and racing with the horses. But, you know, a wild horse, you see a horse in the wild, and it's a powerful animal. And if you try to get on the thing, if you do, it thing might throw you to your death. But the horses my dad was riding, they didn't throw them to their deaths. Why is that? Because they had been brought under control. They still were powerful animals, but they were under control. He's saying, we need to be under control. We need to control ourselves. If we can control our tongues, then we can control ourselves. So the bits in a horse's mouth. So it's a powerful animal. And then it talks about ships being controlled by a small rudder. You look on the bottom of the ship and you see the little thing, and it's a marvelous thing. I think I saw something talking about a ship that maybe weighs 35,000-plus pounds. I mean, not pounds, but tons, 35,000-plus tons, being controlled by a rudder that weighs maybe 700 tons. Now, 35,000 tons compared to 700 tons, that's a small thing. (laughs) But you think about the power of the ocean. We can think about James seeing ships traveling. I don't know what ocean, Mediterranean or whatever, oceans there. But he understood this concept. He's always understood it, that that massive ship in that body of water, even with ferocious winds and things, often those things are still controlled sufficiently so that they're not... Go on, don't go on to a destructive course, a small thing. Now, he's comparing these things to the tongue, our tongues. But the power, can you imagine the power of it? Well, let's move right along here. So that was verses 3 and 4 when those two words were used. And talked about that ship in verse 4. Although so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. 
The one who is out of control decides where it's going. The one who is in control of our tongues decides where it's going, what it's going to be used for. Whether blessing God or cursing uh, fellows, brethren, sisters, the one whose tongue it is is at the control. And because that one is at the control, when God looks on and it has time for judgment, whether at the great white throne of judgment or the beam of seat of Christ, it would be the one who had the control of the tongue and that use they put it to that would be on display, that would be exposed. And that would be the Lord who will be deciding about those things. And so in verse 5, it talks about that power being in a destructive sense. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. A little member, but the words that are spoken can have enormous impact for bad and also for good. But here it's speaking about the destructive potential of the use of the tongue. Might I say that I remember, and that brought back to me, that when I was growing up, one of the things that we used to say that was taught to us is, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hate me. Now, we know that words and hurt. That's not the point. But the point was that, and part of it was to help teach us to deal with our problems without fighting. <laughs> you don't have to fight. You can learn to deal with the words. But sometimes if somebody strikes you, you strike them back. Sometimes it happens, and sometimes that's a necessary thing. Self-defense and all that. So we're not... In, saying that. But there is power in the words. And people who bully kids, we don't have kids right in here right now, who go to school, they can be subject to vicious words. I remember an aunt of mine her daughter was being bullied at school. Somebody's tongue, or many tongues, were used to bully her. One day the principal said to her, you must take her out of this school and put her in another school because her life is in jeopardy. And she did. And that was decades ago. And my cousin still is living. But just the tongue, what was being done, it was being used for vileness. 
foulness. And the principal was saying, that tongue is kindling a fire, a volcano, that if you don't intercede, it's going to explode. It's going to be destructive. The power of the tongue for destruction. It says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is an issue from birth all the way to the end. You know, the Bible says something about being born, speaking lies. Speaking lies. Wow, that's something. So the tongue is an issue. It continues on. It is set among our members in verse 5 that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. The time is gone now, but I intend to come back and say something more here. But in this part, the emphasis is on the power of the tongue for destructive purposes or that produces destruction, produces all kinds of havoc, produces a harsh judgment from God. Now, James felt it, I, I shouldn't phrase it that way, God prompted this James to write to his audience who were scattered abroad in these places to be mindful of these things. They were scattered. We, in ways, are like them. We are sojourners. We are strangers. Our citizenship is not here. We are sojourners like they were and we need also to heed these words because we are going to use our tongues and we're going to say a lot of things. And we ask God to help us so that we say things that are good and true and helpful. There's so much that I think about, about just the idea of using this tongue to say something that's true. That's right. And when I hear a little, some of these people in the news talking heads, oftentimes I can't take much of it. I'm waiting for a truthful statement. And sometimes it doesn't come. And so I say, oh, well, let's fold it. I will read something and try to find out what some of the facts are. <laughs> But you just, the tongue being used to speak and to say the thing that God says is wrong, the tongue used to say is right. And to teach children vile, foul, evil stuff. My brother Ben, I was thinking about his lesson yesterday to us about how that the world, all of this stuff is just there in an overabundance. We don't want to find our tongues being used to propagate that wickedness. Sometimes we inadvertently, inadvertently do. 
And sometimes that's just because we didn't understand what the thing that was being said and propagated and that we lended our tongues to really meant. And so we inadvertently used our tongues for something that was displeasing to God. That can happen, but we should be really mindful of when we did understand and we still used it, misused it. Pray now with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you because you are the creator and the one who gave us these tongues to use for your glory. And we ask you to help us to gain a greater desire that it should be so and a greater and better understanding of how to do it and the help of the Spirit of God to do so. We ask in the name of him who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus, with thanks. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate your kind attention.